Salutations, listeners. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And our aim is to cure whatever ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. We've been on a bit of a hiatus here lately, but that's because Dr. Jazz had to move. I actually had to move into a house, so that takes a little bit of work, so pardon my absence. But we're going to start a new series, and this series is dedicated to jazz in the 1970s. That's right, jazz in the 1970s. A lot of folks think that jazz died in the 1970s, that there was no good jazz that came out of the 1970s. What I hope to prove through this next series is that is not true, that is a falsehood, and hopefully introduce you to some groovy tunes. And through that, we're going to have a, a series of recognizable names and some not so recognizable names, but nonetheless, we are going to groove and we're going to groove hard. So, Let's get to the music, music of the 1970s. Up first is a classic band with a classic song. Here is Weather Report with Birdland off of their album, Heavy Weather. Thank you. 
that is Birdland by Weather Report. That is written for the jazz club Birdland that was named after Charlie Parker. Even though it doesn't sound like Charlie Parker, there's a lot of history there. Uh, the tune was written by Joe Zavino, who was the keyboardist slash uh, co-leader of Weather Report. And uh, he's also the, um, the keyboardist who also wrote Mercy, Mercy, Mercy for Cannonball Adderley. And he's also the composer of In a Silent Way for Miles Davis. So here's a guy that has played with Miles. He's played with Cannonball. And he's written two very important tunes for them. And he and Wayne Shorter the saxophonist, uh, decided to break off from Miles's group and start their own band, and they started this band called Weather Report. And Weather Report went through many different configurations, but this is by far the most commercially successful, and it's just an infectious song. It's an infectious groove. It's just a happy time, and it's just a happy song. The album came out in 1977, and the amazing part of this group is that there's no guitarist. So what sounds like a guitar is actually harmonics on the electric bass. And that feat was accomplished by none other than the legendary Jocko Pastorius. And the way that Jocko got into the band was he fought his way to meet Joe Zavinul. And upon meeting Joe Zavinul, who had already played with Miles and Cannonball and, you know, written many important tunes, introduced himself as John Francis Pastorius III and I'm the greatest bass player alive. So, you can imagine Joe Zavinul's take on that. So, you have three powerhouse musicians on this album and in the band at the time. Joe Zavinul on keyboards... Wayne Shorter on the saxophone, and Jaco Pastorius on the bass. To round out the band, they also had Alex Acuna on the drums and Manolo Badrena on percussion. So, great group, great sound. Well, speaking of Jaco, let's go to his solo album, Jaco Pastorius, and let's listen to Come On, Come Over. The more time you spend feeling happy, the less time. 
funky stuff that is come on come over from Jaco Pastorius's self-entitled album Jaco Pastorius from 1976 this album was actually recorded in October of 75 but not released until 76 and on that track just a cavalcade of jazz stars of course Jaco Pastorius is on the electric bass but it also features Sam and Dave, the sole stars that they are, on vocals. But Howard Johnson is on the Barry sax. Michael Brecker is on the tenor sax. His brother Randy Brecker is on the trumpet. David Sanborn is on the alto sax. And we've also got Narada Michael Walden on the drums, Don Elias on the congas, and none other than Herbie Hancock on the clavinet and the Fender Rhodes. Just a killer track. It's a great album. The whole album is just fantastic. And it's actually, the whole session was produced by Bobby Columbi, who was the drummer and the founder of the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. So, speaking of Herbie Hancock, let's slow things down just a bit and let's listen to Herbie Hancock from his album Thrust with Butterfly Butterfly 
right, that was Butterfly by Herbie Hancock off of his album Thrust from 1974, and it features the Headhunters. That's Bill Summers on percussion, Mike Clark on the drums, Paul Jackson on the electric bass, Benny Maupin, who is the co-writer of that song, along with Herbie Hancock, and Benny Maupin's who we heard on the bass clarinet, stating the melody, but also soloing on the soprano saxophone, and on the album he's also on alto flute, saxello, and the tenor saxophone. And Benny Maupin, incidentally, is also the one who was the bass clarinetist on Miles Davis's album Bitches Brew, which kind of ushered in the whole jazz fusion, if you want to call it that, style, you know, and continue to grow throughout the 70s. And lastly, the incomparable Herbie Hancock on, hold on, this is a long list here, Fender Rhodes, the Honer D6 Clavinet, the Arp Odyssey, the Arp Soloist, the Arp 2600, and the Arp String Ensemble keyboards. So if you ever see those pictures, you know, of like the Headhunters live in concert, you see like Herbie with like four or five different keyboards all around him. That's what all he's playing. Well, the ins- the but uh, on on a separate note, the interesting story behind this record is um, this actually released on the heels of Headhunters, which had the the hit Chameleon and the rearrangement of Watermelon Man and Sly and Vein Melter, and this came right after that, and. Uh, it reached as high as number 13 on the Billboard 200 like listing. Not Billboard 200 jazz listing. We're talking about Billboard 200 period listing in 1974. And I think that's quite an accomplishment if you just stop for a second and think about it. This 1970s were probably the most diverse era of music because in the 70s you had so many things going on at the same time you had um, the Beatles all you know doing their solo albums John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, George Harrison but you also had new stars on the scene like Elton John and Carole King and James Taylor and then you also had groups like Black Sabbath you know making hits and hit records you also had punk rock like the Sex Pistols, the Clash, the Ramones, Frank Zappa. I mean, all these things were going on at the same time. Not to mention bands like Steely Dan, the Eagles, you know, the Rolling Stones were still doing their thing. So, to make it as high as number 13 for an album that has zero vocals, that's quite an accomplishment. So let's give Herbie Hancock a little credit there. Well... Moving on, up next, we've got another man who played with Miles Davis in the beginnings of the whole fusion experiment, if you will. And this is a bassist, and he's still on the scene today. He's fantastic. His name is Dave Holland. And this is one of the tunes that he's very, very, very well known for. Here is Conference 
of the birds.
All right, that was Dave Holland's The Conference of the Birds. And that was from his album, Conference of the Birds, which was actually released in 1973, recorded in late 1972 in November on the ECM label. And who we heard there was Barry Altshul on the percussion, Sam Rivers on the reeds and flute, Anthony Braxton on the reeds and flute as well, and then that earthy, earthy bass of Dave Holland. Interesting note about this piece is that the liner notes describe uh, in the album about how Dave Holland noticed how these birds would get together outside of his apartment each morning um, in London, and they would kind of join one with with one another in song. And my guess is that he would take that and kind of take ideas from the songs that the birds were singing, or he would transcribe kind of what the birds were singing. And that's why you kind of understand that if you were listening closely, that that's not a straight... 4-4 four, four piece. That's actually a 5-4 piece. You know, it's not often that there's, you know, many classic songs in jazz that's in 5-4. There was Take 5, but past that, you're kind of hard-pressed. That, I mean, not saying that there's not any songs written in 5-4, but legendary songs written in 5-4. And that's that kind of is a great segue to my next point. It's actually part of the Penguin Guide to Jazz's core collection. They give it a rating of four stars out of four. I mean, we've got legends. We've got a quartet of legends here. I mean, we all know Anthony Braxton is quantum, and Sam Rivers is as well. Barry Altschul is a, one of the finest percussionists in jazz, and Dave Holland as well. So, Dave Holland... Conference of the Birds. And like I said, Dave Holland's still on the scene today. For those of you who love modern jazz, don't forget Dave Holland's one of the first ones who gave Chris Potter his start. So, keep that in mind. Great ear for talent. Uh, Up next, another man who played with Miles, who played with Stan Getz, who play with Blue Mitchell. We're talking about Chick Corea. Here's Armando's Rumba. Thank you. 
Armando's Rumba by Chick Corea off of his album, My Spanish Heart. That was released in October of 76. I'm sorry, it was recorded in October of 76, released later in 1976. And Chick Corea is one of the... Really, I hate to say the word because, you know, I've said it before, but he, he truly is. I can't think of a better word. Chikoria is quantum within the jazz canon. I mean, this guy played on Fiddlers to Kilimanjaro by Miles Davis. He was on Bitches Brew. Uh, I mean, he toured with that kind of what they call the lost quintet of Miles Davis, Wayne Shorter, Jack DeJanet. Dave Holland and and Chick was on on keyboards, you know, using those ring modulators on the Fender Rhodes and stuff. I mean, he he's just a, he's a great musician. He's a great composer, and he's still on the scene today. I mean, we're talking about somebody who went toe to toe with Herbie Hancock and these great friendly piano duels. You know, I mean, just I, I don't know, but Chick when he left Miles. Started his own band, Return to Forever, and he also did solo albums while the group was together. That was part of their their deal, you know. Like um, he could work on a solo album, and Stanley Clark could work on a solo album, and then they still get together and they do an album of Return to Forever, which is really cool, you know. And um, Chick's still on the scene today. He's still doing, you know, great concerts, great albums, great compositions. Um, but what we heard there was his album from 1976, My Spanish Heart. It's one of my favorite all-time Chick Corea albums. And just a killer group in, in this. Uh, his wife, Gail Moran, is on vocals. Jean-Luc Ponty was on violin. Don Elias was on percussion. Narada Michael Walden was on the drums and the hand claps. The great Steve Gadd was on drums. Stanley Clark was on the double bass. And Chick was on piano, organ, synthesizer, percussion, vocals. And he was also the produ- the producer, the arranger, and the composer for the entire album. So, kudos to Chick. And, to kind of give you a little nod here, you know, we talked about Herbie Hancock getting up to number 13 in the Billboard Top 200. Well, in 1977, this album for Chick Corea got as high as 55 in the Top 200. Pop albums. He was 55. And it reached number 2 in the Billboard Jazz albums. So, there you go. Up next, we're going to listen to another member of the band that Chick had called Return to Forever. And this is uh, from a solo outing from the guitar player for Return to Forever. Who's that? The one and only Al DiMiola. Here is Midnight Tango.
guitarist supreme. He's generally known as the guitarist for the band Return to Forever. That band consisted of Aldemiola on guitar, Chick Corea on keyboards, Lenny White on the drums, and Stanley Clark on the bass. But this is one of his solo outings. In fact, it's his second solo album. And it's called Elegant Gypsy. It came out in 1977. Uh, and much like Chick, it explores the combination of jazz fusion, or what they call jazz fusion then, and which was fusing jazz with rock, um, and also mixed that with Latin music, you know, with like flamenco things. And it won an award for the best guitar album by Guitar Player Magazine and features just a, a bunch of great musicians as well. Of course, Al Di Miola, uh, Paco, Paco de Lucia is on this album. Uh, Anthony Jackson is the bass player. And we heard him on that last track. Jan Hammer was um, the keyboard and synthesizer player on the album. But uh, so was Barry Miles. Not a lot of folks know about Barry Miles. But we just heard Barry Miles on that track on the piano, keyboard, and synthesizer. Uh, two drummers on the album. Steve Gadd, who we just heard from with Chick Corea. He's on the album, but on that track, we actually heard Lenny White. So, half of Return to Forever was on this track. That would be Aldi Miola and Lenny White. And we heard half of Return to Forever on the previous track with Chick Corea on Armando's Rumba. We heard him and Stanley Clark. So, this is the cool thing about these guys' albums, that they would call each other in on them as well. And Mingo Lewis is also on this album uh, that we just heard on Midnight Tango, on congas, and percussion. All right. So, killer guitar player, killer track, but he wasn't the only guitar player who kind of ruled the roost in the 70s. You know, that's what we're focusing on here in these, you know, special series of the Dot Jazz podcast. We're taking a look at jazz in the 70s. So... Here is another guitar player called John McLaughlin and his band, the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Here is Birds of Fire.
track just still amazes me. That's Birds of Fire by the Mahavishnu Orchestra from 1973, recorded in 1972. And this band is known as John McLaughlin's band. John McLaughlin, of course, the guitar player and composer of all the songs on this album. Um, this The Mahavishnu Orchestra is just a fantastic group of musicians. Jerry Goodman is the violin player who would go on to play in the band The Dixie Drags. Uh, Jan Hammer is the keyboardist and synthesizer player. And he is one of the giants of the 1970s. He played with Jeff Beck. He had his own albums. He played with John Abercrombie, you know, and just killer player. Billy Cobham on the drums, who is a force unto himself, had many, many influential albums uh, of 1970s jazz. And we're going to hear some in this series. And, of course, Rick Laird on bass. And if you don't know about Rick Laird in, in jazz history, just you Google that. And, uh, of course, John McLaughlin on all the guitars. So it's important to note here that John McLaughlin also, he, he played with Tony Williams in Tony Williams' lifetime. You know, there was the... Um, the the whole thing that with Miles, you know, before that. I mean, Tony and John played together, and they were both from that Miles camp, you know. And John McLaughlin, of course, is the only um, musician who has an entire song named after him who who played with Miles. I mean, if you look on the the album Bitches Brew, there's a track on there on disc two, just called John McLaughlin. That's pretty cool. So, but I, I think it's worth noting that, you know, let's talk about how Miles is the one that kind of started the whole jazz fusion movement, if you will, with Phyllis to Kilimanjaro in a silent way, and then finally Bitches Brew. And these three albums were titled Directions in Music by Miles Davis. And that kind of ushered in the difference between what people considered traditional jazz into electric jazz or jazz fusion or whatever you want to call it. So, um, but throughout Miles's jazz fusion um, era, he he worked with Herbie Hancock, Joe Zavinul, Wayne Shorter, Chick Corea, Dave Holland, Benny Maupin, John McLaughlin, Lenny White, and then these guys all spread out and created their own highly successful bands out of the Miles Davis center came Return to Forever with Chick Corea, Lenny White, Stanley Clark, Al Demiola the Mahavishnu Orchestra with John McLaughlin, Billy Cobham, Rick Laird, Jan Hammer, Jerry Goodman Weather Report who we started off this whole episode with. Joe Zavinul, Wayne Shorter, Chaco Pastorius, Alex Acuna, Manolo Badrena. And, of course, Tony Williams' Lifetime. You know, that was kind of a fusion group, too. And that had John McLaughlin in it as well. So, you 
you have all these groups that are spinoffs from Miles Davis. So, and Dave Holland too. How can we forget about Dave Holland? Um, so why don't we just take a moment and listen to one of Miles's songs? Here is Miles Davis off of his album, Get Up With It. And here is Maisha.
Alicia off of Miles Davis's Get Up With It album from 1974. That track featured Miles, of course, on the electric trumpet and the wah-wah, and also on the organ. Featured Sonny Fortune on the flute, even though he's known as a great sax player. He was on flute on that track. Three electric guitarists, Pete Cozy on guitar, Reggie Lucas on guitar, and Dominique Gaumont on electric guitar as well. Michael Henderson on the bass guitar, Al Foster on drums, and Matume on percussion. And this is just a who, the whole album's just a who's who of great, great musicians. And it's recorded from 72, a couple of tracks are recorded in 72, a couple of tracks are recorded in 1970. And a couple of tracks were recorded in 74, but Maisha was recorded in October of 74. And not a lot of people like Miles Davis in the 70s. They think that he, he sold out, that you know he was just playing for money. But, you know, I've heard Carlos Santana say this. You know, it, it takes a lot of courage, a lot of guts, to step outside of your comfort zones and basically jump without a parachute. So, there you go. Uh, I think that time will be kind to these pieces as many of a many different set of ears catch up to what Miles is trying to do with albums like Bitches Brew, Get Up With It, Live Evil. Dark Magus, all these albums, um, Jack Johnson, all those. I think we'll see, you know, uh, more people sampling things from these albums, kind of like the way um, on the corner. Miles Davis is on the corner is one of the most sampled albums there there are for hip hop. So I think time will be kind to Miles as we go through. But regardless, he is a staple of 1970s music, which is what we're focusing on here. And if you want to see these album covers and check them out and go buy them, please support these artists, support this music. You know what I mean? This is fantastic music. Um, go to the website, Dr. Jazz Podcast. That's D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. That way you can check out all the album art. Because the album art is really, really cool too. So, um, up next, probably the only trumpet player who could have, well, I don't know, there's one or two, but not many, that actually challenged Miles um, as king of the trumpet in the 70s. Here is none other than Freddie Hubbard. And here is his song, Povo.
right. Freddie Hubbard, Povo, off of his album Skydive from the CTI label in 1972. In fact, it's his fourth release on the CTI label. And it's just a killer album. It was actually recorded in 72 and it was released, you know, in early 73. So I think some of the early pre-sale albums were released to radio stations in 72. So, because it came out in January of 73. But just a killer, killer lineup. Um, Freddie Hubbard, of course, on the trumpet. Hubert Laws on the flute. You also had Billy Cobham on the drums, Ray Barreto and Erto Morera on the percussion. Don Sebesky was the arranger. Ron Carter was the bassist laying down that groove. George Benson was the guitar player. And none other than Keith Jarrett on the piano and the electric piano on this album. So Freddie definitely knew the blueprint that Miles was, was using, take well-known musicians, you know, get them on the session, make a super session, and have just infectious grooves. And Erto played with Miles, Billy Cobham played with Miles, Ron Carter played with Miles, Keith Jarrett played with Miles, George Benson even played a track or two with Miles. He played um, Circle in the Round. He was the guitar player that was featured on Miles's Circle in the Round, and there was, uh, he was also featured on the Miles in the Sky album. So there you go. Um, so he took a lot of the Miles Davis alumni, if you will, for this album, and it's it. This album is just killer. I mean, it, it actually it features Povo in a Mist, which is a, a nod back to the uh, the great jazz cornetist Bix Beiderbecke. If you're not familiar with Vic Spiderbeck, please check out some of the earlier episodes of the Dr. Jazz podcast. Uh, naturally, the Godfather theme uh, and Skydive. So, just a killer album. I mean, CTI was really on top of it in the 70s. So, but up next, one of the lesser known songs, but still infectious, groovy music. Here is Tommy Stewart with Bump and Hustle Music. Thank you. 
Tommy Stewart bump and hustle music from around 1976-1977. No one's really sure. That's a very, very hard track to come by. Tommy Stewart is a musical legend in the city of Birmingham, Alabama. He played with Johnny Taylor, was his musical director. He played with Gladys Knight and the Pips. I mean... And he's in the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame. So, roll tide. Go Tommy Stewart. And I've actually had the, the, the high privilege of being mentored by Tommy Stewart. I used to go to these jam sessions. You know, Dr. Jazz is a musician, not just a great listener, you know. Um, and I remember going, when I first started college, I remember going to these jam sessions at this little place called Marty's in uh, Five Points in Birmingham. And it used to be kind of like an open mic night for jazz on Monday nights. And we'd go to this, and some of the the older cats would be there. And I remember on a couple occasions, Tommy Stewart was there, and I just would furiously write down these notes on the back of my real book because he's like, well, here's what Coltrane did on his Lush Life album. And these were the changes he was implementing to these standards and he's he really is just a fountain of knowledge he's still around he's still kicking so kudos to tommy stewart um that track believe me is not indicative of all the wealth of knowledge this man knows but since we are featuring jazz in the 1970s and this is one of the few musical examples i have of just him on his own name, you know, I figured I'd give a little shout out to Tommy Stewart. So that was Bump and Hustle Music by Tommy Stewart. Up next, we're going to play something by Jean-Luc Ponty, who was the violinist featured in Chick Corea's Armando's Rumba. Here is Cosmic Messenger.
right. The Cosmic Messenger by Jean-Luc Ponty. That is off of his album, The Cosmic Messenger, from 1978. And it was featured in the Billboard Jazz albums in 1978, reaching as high as number two. And in the Billboard Pop albums, it actually released as it reached as high as number 36 in 1978. So, there you go. Um, the personnel on this album is, of course, Jean-Luc Ponty. He's playing five-string electric violin, the electric violin, organ, lead synthesizers, orchestrons, and the regular acoustic violin. And Ralph Armstrong is on the electric bass. And I'm probably going to butcher these names, so I apologize ahead of time. Joaquin Livano is on electric guitar and acoustic guitar. Peter Maunu is on the electric guitar, acoustic guitar, and guitar synthesizer. Uh, Casey Shurel, Shaurel is on the drums and percussion. And Alan Zavod is on electric piano, polyphonic synthesizer, lead synthesizer, grand piano, and organ. So, there you go. Now, <clears throat> at this point in time, I would like to let you know that not all jazz in the 1970s, which is what we're looking at in this special series, was jazz fusion. You know, a lot of people think that jazz died, like all traditional jazz died in the 70s that it was like fusion or nothing at all and that's just not true and and I want to show kind of both sides to this so I, I've sprinkled in some of the traditional jazz that was happening and one of the big events in traditional jazz that happened in the 70s was Dexter Gordon's homecoming now what does that mean well Dexter Gordon had expatriated to Europe and he was living there for years and years and years. And there's a ton of great recordings of him, you know, way overseas. Um, in fact, even Blue Note recorded in Paris for Dexter Gordon's Our Man in Paris album. But the Homecoming album, which was recorded by Columbia, was uh, a two-CD, I believe it was four-record set, uh, of Dexter Gordon's Homecoming to the Village Vanguard in New York City. I mean, he was coming back to America. He was going to play shows in America again. You know, he was going to live in America. And not only is he featured, but so is Woody Shaw. And the idea of Woody Shaw and Dexter Gordon together live at the Village Vanguard. It's just a killer combination. So, without further ado... Here is Long Tall Dexter with Woody Shaw live at the Village Vanguard from his homecoming album. Here is Fried Bananas.
Dexter Gordon, Woody Shaw from Homecoming, live at the Village Vanguard, 1976. All right, interesting little part about this. Um, so I was reading, and Dexter Gordon um, spent 14 years in Europe, um, in Paris and in Copenhagen. And then he decided to return to the United States for good in 76, and he appeared with Woody Shaw, Ronnie Matthews, Stafford James, and Louis Hayes uh, for that Vanguard gig in New York. Um, The interesting part about this is while he was actually in Copenhagen, he was friends with his family, um... No, I'm sorry, when he lived in Denmark. Uh, He was friends with his family, and this family 
was actually the family of the Metallica drummer, Lars Ulrich. And if that isn't weird enough, Dexter Gordon became Lars Ulrich's godfather. So, there you have it. The drummer for Metallica, his godfather, is Dexter Gordon. On top of that, uh, after Dexter passed away, he is survived by his widow and former manager-producer, Maxine Gordon. Now, if that isn't weird enough, I believe that Maxine Gordon is the owner of the Village Vanguard. And her son, Woody Shaw III. So I'm not sure how that quite works out. But, interesting, interesting connections there. Of course, you know, Dexter Gordon was also the star of the film, Round Midnight, which featured Herbie Hancock, John McLaughlin, Bobby Hutcherson, Wayne Shorter, all these musicians that we're talking about. So, if you haven't checked out the, the film, Round Midnight, by Bertrand Tavernier, I believe. Uh, Check that out. It's a great, great film. Well, Dexter wasn't the only one who was providing great straight-ahead jazz. We still had the incomparable Sonny Rollins killing it as well. Here is Sonny Rollins with Don't Stop the Carnival. Thank you. 
1978 from the great American Music Hall. It features, of course, Sonny Rollins on the tennis saxophone, Mark Soskin on the piano, R.L. Ray on the electric guitar, Jerome Harris on the bass, and Tony Williams on the drums. Killer, cutting edge, wonderful Sonny Rollins jazz from the 70s. There you go. Up next, we've got the great vibraphonist Roy Ayers from his album Virgo Red. Here is Brother Louie. Thank you. 
Roy Ayers, Brother Louie, a cover of the Hot Chocolate hit by the band Hot Chocolate, Louis, Brother Louie. Uh, that's from his 1973 album, Virgo Red. And it features Roy Ayers, of course, on the vibes, organ, vocals, and percussion. Harry Whitaker on the piano and the electric piano and organ. Dennis Davis on the drums and percussion. And David Johnson on the bass. Chano O'Farrell on the congas, bongos, and vocal. And apparently... Roy Ayers is a Virgo. Harry Whitaker is a Virgo. David Johnson is a Sagittarius Virgo rising. And Chano O'Farrell is a Virgo. So, band of Virgos. There you go. All right, up next we have George Duke with Every Little Step I Take.
George Duke. Every little step I take from his 1979 album, Master of the Game. And of course, that featured George Duke on the Fender Rhodes electric piano, Yamaha electric piano, Honer clavinet, D6, the Arp Odyssey, the Mini Moog, and the Oberheim synthesizer, as well as the Prophet synthesizer, Funk Osizers, Krumer strings, 9-foot Yamaha grand piano, Bell's vocals. That's a mouthful. I guess that's what you do if you're the leader. It also featured Jerry Hay on the trumpet and flugelhorn, Gary Herbig on the tenor sax, alto sax, flute, and piccolo, Bill Reichenbach on the trombone and bass trombone, David Miles on the 12-string guitar, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, sitar, Byron Miller on the bass, Ricky Lawson on the drums, Josie James, Napoleon M. Brock and Lynn Davis on the background vocals. So, there you go. And I think that's quite indicative of jazz in the late, late 70s. When you start kind of getting into 1979, part the last part of 1978, 1979, you get a lot more of these kind of pop jazz crossover things, you know. But the chord structure is still really good. So, it's infectious. Up next, we have Carla Blay with Dreams So Real from her album Dinner Music.
So Real by Carla Blay off of her 1976 album Dinner Music and it's on the Watt slash ECM label ECM gave Carla Blay and Steve Swallow both their own division off of ECM called Watt Records W-A-T-T and that's just a beautiful composition by Carla Blay. She, of course, wrote that and many, many, many other tunes. Uh, a, a killer composer and arranger. Um, that featured Carla Blay, of course, on the organ and piano. Um, Michael Mantler on the trumpet. Carlos Ward on alto tenor saxes and flute. Bob Stewart on the tuba. Richard T on the piano and electric piano behind Carla. That track featured Eric Gale, killer guitar player. And such a warm sound on the guitar, too. Gordon Edwards on bass. Steve Gadd on drums. Have you noticed this? Steve Gadd was on some of those tracks by Chick Corea. I think he was on the track with... Um, I think he's on some of the, the, the albums with Al DiMiola as well. I mean, Steve Gadd just appears everywhere. And in fact, him and Chick Rea do have an album coming up this month, January of 2018, called Chinese Butterfly. It's the Korea Gad Band. Check that out. Um, but the trombonist on this last track with Carla Blay is Roswell Rudd. And if you don't know... Uh, Roswell Rudd just passed away about a week ago at the age of 82. And I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Roswell Rudd because he is a staple in the entire canon of jazz, not just in this 1970s jazz, but all throughout. I mean, playing with cats like Cecil Taylor, all the way up to Carla Blay. I mean, this guy is a phenomenal trombonist. 
So I dedicate this entire podcast to Roswell Rudd and the great music that he's given us. Dreams so real. Up next, the Brecker Brothers, Funky C, Funky Do.
the Brecker Brothers with Funky C, Funky Do from their 1977 album, Don't Stop the Music. It's the Brecker Brother Band, and in that band, of course, Randy Brecker is on the trumpet, Michael Brecker is on the tenor, Michael Brecker actually wrote that song, Will Lee is on the bass, the wonderful Don Grolnick is on the keyboards, Doug Riley as well, Steve Kahn on the guitar, as as well as Jerry Friedman, Sandy Toronto, and Hiram Bullock. Drums, Chris Parker, Lenny White, and of course, Steve Gadd. He's like Santa Claus in the 70s. He's everywhere. Ralph McDonald on percussion. Sammy Figueroa is on the congas. Ah, Let's see, the horn section. Blue Lou Marini. Killer alto sax player Alan Rubin on trumpet, David Taylor on the bass trombone, Barry Rogers on trombone, Lou Delgato on the Barry sax, and of course the Brecker Brothers. So, killer, killer band, killer band, and that was on the Arista label. So, up next. The incomparable. You can't have anything 1970s jazz and not mention. Maynard Ferguson. This man was all over the 70s. So here is one of Maynard Ferguson's all-time classics, MacArthur Park.
epic MacArthur Park by Maynard Ferguson off of his album M.F. Horn, released in, are you ready for this, 1970. It's the tune by Jimmy, written by Jimmy Webb, and it's arranged by Drover. And the thing of Martin Drover, uh, the trumpet player in his trumpet section. Um, the band, by the way, Maynard Ferguson on the trumpet, lead trumpet. The other trumpets in the trumpet section is Martin Drover, of course, the arranger of MacArthur Park. Alan Downey, John Huckdridge, John Donnelly. The trombone section is Billy Graham, Chris Pine, and Albert Wood. Saxophones are alto sax, Pete King, tenor sax, Danny Moss, and Brian Smith. Barry sax, Bob Watson. Piano is Pete Jackson. Bass is Dave Lanane. Drums is Randy Jones. Guitar, George Kish. Congas, Frank Riccati. Vina, Vimu Makunda. And Tambouri is Mohana Lakshmipathy. And that's on the album. But this is the very first uh, time that Maynard Ferguson ever dipped his toe into the waters of rock music in an instrumental way. And it turned out very, very, very well for him. And in fact, it would help kind of steer his direction for years to come. And this is only the first in a whole series of the MF Horn series for uh, Columbia. You'd have MF Horn 2, MF Horn 3, MF Horn 4, etc, etc, etc. But this is where it all began. 1970, MacArthur Park for Maynard Ferguson. Well, we got a few more left. Here is the Pat Metheny Group. This is a brand new group that blossomed out of the 1970s. Talking about Pat Metheny with Lyle Mays, this great songwriting team. Here is the self-entitled Pat Metheny Group, Pat Metheny Group on the ECM label. Here is Phase Dance.
Metheny Group with Phase Dance. This is off of their self-entitled album, The Pat Metheny Group, from 1978 on the ECM label. Of course, the Pat Metheny Group in this configuration is Pat Metheny on guitars, Lyle Mays on keyboards, Mark Egan on the bass, and Danny Gottlieb on the drums. You know... This song is usually the song, the one we just heard, Phase Dance, uh, is usually what opens up concerts for the Pat Metheny group. And this whole album, there's not a bad track on the entire album. And it's got that signature Pat Metheny group sound. It's kind of like folk meets jazz meets you know rock. It, it, it's with a lot of electronics. It's just fantastic. And, uh, of course, Pat Metheny, you know, he uses many different guitars. And Lyle Mays uses many different keyboard instruments. So, uh, this went as high as number five on the jazz album chart in 78. And in 1978, it also went as high as 123 on the pop album charts. So, and there's not a single word in the entire song. So, um, it's by far one of the signature albums to get if you're looking for jazz from the good jazz from the 1970s um yeah pat metheny group and of course you know just last year pat metheny was awarded the um the jazz master award so and his style is very much um the same a lot of those elements are the same from way back in 78 so up next, Cassiopeia with Tears of the Star from their self-entitled album, Cassiopeia.
Tears of the Star by Cassiopeia off of their self-entitled album Cassiopeia from 1979. And Cassiopeia was a Japanese uh, super fusion group. And um, yeah, it, 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 who is Cassiopeia? Well, it's Issei Noro on the electric guitar. He's kind of like the, the leader. He's been in every configuration of Cassiopeia, and there's been many configurations. But this first early configuration includes Minoru Mukaya on the Fender Rhodes electric piano, acoustic piano, synthesizers, Yamaha Electone and the vibraphone, and it's Tetsuo Sakurai on the bass guitar, and Takashi Sasaki on the drums. Now, what's really cool about this album is the horn section. And we'll listen to other tracks and other episodes in this series dedicated to jazz in the 1970s. But it's worth noting that the horn section for Cassiopeia is none other than David Sanborn on the alto sax, Michael Brecker on the tenor sax, and Randy Brecker on the trumpet. That's right, the Brecker Brothers plus Sanborn. Not bad. So, definitely worth 
keeping an eye on. And it's just that relaxed, sunny, beautiful, cool vibe of the 70s, you know. Cassiopeia, Tears of the Star. All right, we got one last track for you. It is by none other than George Benson. And this is the theme from Good King Bad. Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you. 
All right. That was George Benson with Good King Bad from 1975 on the CTI label. Theme from Good King Bad. That was written by David Matthews and recorded by George Benson and received a Grammy for the Best R&B Instrumental Performance from 1977. So, yeah. Who is in this lineup? George Benson, of course, on the guitar. Eric Gale on guitar as well. Gary King on the bass. Andy Newmark on the drums. Steve Gadd is on the drums in this album as well. Let's see. David Friedman's on the vibraphone. Don Grolnick's on the clavinet. Bobby Lyle is on the keyboards. Joe Farrell is on the flute. Randy Brecker again on the trumpet. Fred Wesley from Fred Wesley and the Horny Horns on the trombone. David Sanborn on the alto sax. Michael Brecker on the tenor sax. So Cassiopeia's entire horn section is on this track right here. Frank Vicari on the tenor saxophone. Ronnie Cuber on the berry sax who also played with George Benson from the 1960s when the George Benson Quartet was going on as an organ quartet with Dr. Lonnie Smith. He worked with Ronnie Cuber back then, and he's got him back on Barry Sachs. Of course, Bob James, the great Bob James, was a conductor. Dave Mat- David Matthews was the arranger and the writer of that song. So, killer, killer group. The engineer was none other than Rudy Van, Rudy Van Greer, and Creed Taylor was the producer. So, killer, killer, killer production, killer group, killer musicians. Uh, it's just so funky 1970s. Gotta love it. So, thanks for sticking with me. We're going to continue this series in the future. You know, with the 1970s jazz, there are a lot of epic songs, and a lot of them take a long time to develop. So, thank you for your patience. Hopefully, you, hopefully you've dug some of the grooves. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And as always, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now. In jazz, we trust.